Um, today is our series finale in Won't You Be My Neighbor? Um, and I want to tell you today, as your pastor, I want to tell you that I think that this series has been more important to the life of our church yeah. than possibly a handful of other series that we've done. Because it has the potential to change really who we are as individuals as well as our community. And it can change the direction of our church. Um, so if you've missed any of these messages that Amy and I have shared throughout this series on Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is the title of our series, you can go on to the podcast app in the iTunes podcast app and search Celebrate Church and you can listen to those messages or you can go on to our website at celebratepeople.org. So um, today uh, we wanted to share with you this last message and Amy, take it away. Yeah, I, I agree, Pastor. I think that this could be um, one of the things that really changes the direction for our church and uh, pushes us forward into uh, what God has for us in the future and in 2018 and beyond. Um, I'm so excited. And the thing is, is that with, with um, this series that we've been following, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is that it's not hard. You know, you we learn the neighbors, the names of the neighbors that, that are around us. And then from there, we develop a relationship with them. And then those, that gives us access to be able to minister to them and to be able to, um, to share the light of Jesus with them. And it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. It's something that we can all do, but it could really, really make a difference in our church, in our community, in our lives. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. So let's jump right in. Uh, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when Jesus said this, he is speaking of himself and he is saying, I am the one, the only, the exclusive light of the world. When he says this, he is saying that there is no other option for spiritual light other than himself. Right. And that is what our entire faith is based upon. All of Christ Christianity is based upon the fact that Jesus himself is the one and the only light of the world. That's right. And that's awesome for those of us that understand that and who have accepted him as the light of, of the world and as our light as well. But it can cause conflict with those who maybe have chosen not to accept him as the light of the world. And maybe that's our neighbor. Maybe it's our neighbor is someone who has not, does not know Jesus as the light of the world. And they don't believe that. So that can cause conflict between us and our neighbors. So how do we uh, bridge that gap? And that's what we're going to talk about here today. Uh, as Amy shared Jesus' words that he says, I am the light of the world. He takes it up another level or takes it to another dimension in another place in scripture that we'll read in a minute. But we need to understand that as true believers, we have this light given to us as a blessing from God to be able to empower us as we live in a dark world where many people, even our next door neighbors, may not have this same light. Maybe you have family or friends that you'll see during this next holiday season through Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they may not have the light of the world. So Jesus gave his disciples then, and he gives his disciples now, the responsibility that we have is to share that spiritual light that he is, that Amy talked about, with others. And that's really what this whole series has been about. 
This next verse that you'll see on the screen is Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. And I want to read this, but I want to tell you first, it's Jesus speaking. You might know this passage of scripture as what we call the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. It happens in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus is with some of his disciples and he goes up on a hillside and he begins to preach. And the Bible actually tells us that it lasted for quite some time. He was a little bit long-winded on this particular day, but he gave a lot of truth to the people that were there. And he says this to his disciples that you see on the screen. You are the light of the world. A A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it underneath a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. So here's a thought. Think about a time when the power has gone out. Anybody experienced that for an extended period of time? The lights have been out. And what'd you do? You had to go to a drawer, find a candle, hope and pray you had matches somewhere. Like you, I mean, we, you, we rush through the house, fumble through the house, especially if it's late at night or getting close, you know, it's way dark. And we're like, oh my goodness. And then you realize how blessed we are to live in the modern age where we have electricity and lighting and all of these things. Jesus was speaking to some primitive-ish people, if you will, back then, who used candles in order to light the entire house. They didn't have what we have today. So you've got to understand that in the, in the area where Jesus is saying that you are the light of the world, he's saying you are that single candle that you have in the drawer at home that you use in emergency purposes. He's saying to the people back then, you are that single candle that could provide light to that dark room. And that dark room that we all live in is this current world. So it's powerful, it's a powerful thought that Jesus distributes his light because he said, I am the light of the world. And as Amy said, he is the exclusive source of light. There is no other way to be illuminated in this life except for th- through Jesus Christ. And so he not only is the light, but he distributes it to us who believe in him. So we have become the light of the world because of what Christ has done inside of us and because we believe in him. So we've been lit up or illuminated. Um, I love how most of Jesus' metaphors that he uses in scripture, they use connectivity as a focal point. Think about it. Jesus says that I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep. Okay, they stay connected. They're interconnected. Their lives are completely together unless a sheep runs away from the shepherd. But then, even then, when they're disconnected, he willingly leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one. We think about the other place in scripture when Jesus says that I am the true vine and you are the branches. Stay connected to me and you'll bear fruit. We also think about this in context with what we're saying today. If he's the light of the world, we could use that understanding, that imagery to understand that our light only shines when we're connected to him. So as we're illuminated by him, we have a responsibility to go and light the world around us. And that really starts with our family, with our friends, and with our neighbors. So today what we would like to do is we'd like to uh, talk about some tips to help us to be that light to, um, to those who are around us, specifically to our neighbors, um, to be the light of the world. So one of the simplest ways that, um, to do this is to share your story with others. Um, all of us have a story 
that, and, and most of us have a story that in this room have a story that in which Jesus has made, has played a major part and changed us. So when we can share that with others, that uh, creates some common ground and it creates a, a, a moment for us to be able to talk about how he has been the light to us and then how he can be the light for them. But the question is, do you know how to share your story and to tell people about the impact that Jesus has made in your life in a simple and a concise way? Um, so pastor asked me to share my story today, and I'm not sure if it's going to be a good example, but it is an example of, um, of how to do that. So it calls me pastor at home sometimes. Yes. No, I don't. No, I don't. Um, so, um, I have, uh, become, I've been a Christian for most of my life. My father is a pastor. My grandfather is a pastor. My great grandfather was a pastor. But I distinctly remember the moment in um, kids camp. Go kids camp. That's why I love kids camp. And you should all send your children to kids camp and grandchildren. Yes, to kids camp. Because I remember, even with that spiritual pedigree, if you will, the moment that I realized that my spiritual pedigree was not going to be enough. That Jesus wanted a relationship with me. And so... I dedicated my life to him in that moment, and I started that relationship like any child starts any relationship, which is very matter-of-factly. You know, I'm just, Jesus is my bud, and we loved each other, and it was awesome. And um, and I trusted him, and it was, that's all, you know, that's it. We were, we were friends. Um, but as, you know, it, it wasn't straight and narrow forever. Um, as a teenager and as a young adult, um... I started to make some choices that were not healthy, and I started to um, rely on other people and other things to uh, to to show me to validate me and to give me affection and to give me the love that I that I was looking for and had found up until that point in the Lord. And um, so I remember as um, a sophomore in college, I remember. Um, waking up one morning and, um, I was regretting the choices that I had made the night before. And I was, um, and I was washing my face at my sink in Crestman Hall and I looked in the mirror and it was like my eyes were open and I saw myself as I really truly was a hypocrite. I was a complete hypocrite because I was making all of these choices that were not healthy and I was not living my life for Christ. But then on Sunday, I was at church with my hands raised because I never didn't love Jesus. I was just not sure if his love for me was enough anymore. And so I was looking for that from other people and from other things. And so I remember that moment and I looked at myself and I saw myself for who I really truly was. And I got down on my knees in Crestman Hall and I cried out in forgiveness. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for being a hypocrite, for living a lie. And I repented for all of the, the ways that I had led other people astray in the way that I had been living and the way that I talked that they didn't line up with each other. And I felt very responsible for that. And that moment changed direction, the direction for me, for my life. Um, I can't say that every choice after that was a healthy one because it wasn't, but I began to develop that relationship with Christ again. 
And the more I developed that relationship, the more I realized something. And that is that he is trustworthy. That he could be trusted with my heart. He could be trusted with my dreams and my fears. And that, and as I have lived out that relationship in the good times and in the bad times, that is what I keep coming back to. And that is what keeps being reiterated to me is that he is trustworthy. And so that day and every day since then, I have said to the Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours and I'll be yours forever. Um, and as I continue to say that, then that, that relationship is continuing to get deeper and deeper. Now that is a small part of my story because my story, just like yours is multifaceted. And I could sit here and I could talk about the miracle of, uh, Dexter and I finding each other. I could talk about God's protection, supernatural protection on my children and my family. I could talk about his, um, provision in times of hardship and of, of hard times. I could talk about his comfort in times of overwhelming grief. But the thing is, is that all of these moments in my story create access points to reach other people. And I think God gives us, you know, as I'm talking to someone else, then as they're talking and I listen to their story, then I can see how we connect and how my story connects with them. And God gives us those little windows as access points to insert God's grace into their story and into their life. You know, so when I'm talking to someone, I might choose to talk about the grief and how God has been, how Christ has been um, comfort to me in those places. Or I might, uh, uh, many times when I talk to young people, I choose to talk about the way Dexter and I got together and the miracle that that is, because that is something that is, you know, first and foremost in the minds of young people is, am I ever going to get married? It is a miracle. It she is needed a, miracle. a lot of convincing. But... Mm, <laughs> yeah, it's true. But... yeah (laughs) but it's you know i think god god is so good because he he can redeem all of those moments the hard times and the the good times and the painful times and he can use those as um as points of ministry that you can use to talk with other people yeah our story is really important um and it's important not just because it's your story but because like amy said it creates those access points where you can share your faith with other people about what God has done in your life. So the truth is, we all have a story, like she said, and you might be here today, and maybe your story doesn't include God just yet, but we believe that that can change. And God created each one of us for a purpose, and he's made each one of us a promise, which is pretty powerful when you think about the fact that God, the God of the universe, has made a promise to us. And that is that he would come and save and restore and heal. And he would give us his light in this dark world. Um, I want to tell you a parable. Um, a parable is a story like Jesus shared parables, uh, throughout his ministry. And I want to tell you a parable this morning that might, um, pun intended, I guess, light the way. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, But there was a village that was on a rocky coastline where the surf was treacherous and the coast was consistently battered by big storms. Lots of ships had come and they crashed on the rocks and the lives of many had been lost uh, at sea. 
one day the people who were there in that area, they decided they were going to build a lighthouse. And so they built a lighthouse and they also built what they thought were called a life-saving station. So they had some people who practiced you know, swimming and swimming in tough seas and stuff like that. And they said, hey, we're going to employ these people to go out and to be able to save those who, if their ships get on the rocks, regardless of the light, will be able to save them, bring them out of the icy waters and that kind of thing. The results were exactly what they hoped for. Fewer ships started hitting the rocks, and when a ship would hit those rocks and people would end up in the water, they would send people who would risk their own lives to go and to rescue them. It's a pretty incredible thing. One day, someone suggested, though, that since they had spent so much time at the lighthouse, they should make it a gathering place of sorts. And so people began to build homes near the lighthouse. Then whenever the lookout would sound the alarm... They were nearby and they were ready to go. Next, they decided, you know what? We're going to make this place a little bit more comfortable. So they decided to heat the lighthouse and throw some paint in there and grab some rugs and a nice kitchen was installed so they could cook some meals. And the lighthouse became a nice place for them to spend their time while they waited for the alarm to be sounded. One night, a fierce storm blew in, but this time, after the storm had subsided, the rescued sailors had been rescued and pulled out. They'd been taken care of, and now they were leaving the lighthouse. There were some who were a little bit angry. See, the storm had brought in these people who they rescued, but those people left a mess in their wake. They came in with their baggage, and they were coming in from the wet and the dangerous sea, and now... They were there and they had been saved, but they had messed things up. So a few more storms came and went and tensions ran high and attitudes changed and they got worse and worse. And the people who were in the majority voted to keep the beacon lit, to keep the light on. But they said, you know, this rescue work is just, it's a little bit too much. It's a little bit too inconvenient for us. It was uncomfortable and so they, they said, you know what? It requires a little bit too much work. We're going to dispense with that. But a small group disagreed. And they decided they were going to go down the coastline a little bit closer or a little bit further away from the original lighthouse. And they were going to build a new lighthouse. Some of those who helped build the new lighthouse had actually been people who were once rescued from that rocky shore. Fame of the new lighthouse grew, and the first lighthouse eventually turned its light off and kept its club sort of feel going. It was meant to be a life-saving station, the lighthouse, not a country club, but people got sidetracked somewhere along the way. This parable, this story, illustrates the church The believers who man the lighthouse are to be rescuing others. We've got a great commission that's been given to us, not to just enjoy an us for and no more sort of mentality or kind of club, but to be a life-saving station. Doing that is hard work, but it's worthy work. Amen? And it can be done. It's hard, but it can be done. So we always say here that practice makes permanent... Um, and if we're talking about sharing our story with others, then I think we ought to practice the details of our story. So uh, when was the last time you shared your story with someone else? Uh, for most of us, it's it's been a while. So um, 
we have a handout that we're going to give you right now. And um, we'd like you to practice writing down your story of what life was like before Jesus. So you can get your pen from the seat back in front of you or the back of the seat that you're sitting on if you're on the front row. Get a pen out and think about it for a moment. Don't focus on church words or religion if you can. Don't say, you know, I've been sanctified by, you know, those kind of things. Talk, th- Write it out like you would tell somebody who has not been in church or doesn't know that kind of language. Write down what was life like before Jesus. And then write down what you lacked then, what was missing that you now have. Were you missing peace? And now you have peace. For me, it was, I was missing that validation and that, and that, that love that I have now found in Christ. And maybe for you, it's freedom. Maybe you were, um, bound by some sort of, um, addiction and you found freedom in Christ. Whatever it is, what you lacked that you now have, what was missing? What's the difference that he has made in your life? Then give them an invitation to something in the future to connect them and keep the conversation going. Something like, if you ever want to know more about this, or I'd love to have you visit my church and check it out, or I'd love to have coffee with you and talk about this a little bit more. Write down an invitation, some sort of way to connect them with your story and, and kind of draw them out more. I'm going to give you a minute to, uh, to do that and to write down what you think that you would be able to say. Remember those things that are on the screen and maybe you want to jot them down yourself on those story cards and ask the question of what was your life like before Jesus? What was it that you were missing and what's the difference that he has made? Um, We've been talking about being the light of the world and um, we need to realize that being the light of the world means sharing our story. But again, we always want to do this with the right motivation and with the right expectation. 
So we've joked before, you, we are not encouraging you to knock on your neighbor's door and say, hi, my name is Tim. I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Would you like to go to church with me? Do you know what it means to be washed in the blood? Like that is not the introduction, okay? We just want to be clear about that. We want there to be moments in our lives where we're able to share our story. And like Amy said, using different access points. Maybe you're talking to the neighbor over the fence and something comes up about car trouble and that kind of thing. And and then you can share a story about how God used a mechanic to give you a break or something in your past. Just these small things that point people back to God. That's what it's really all about. But here are a few tips in sharing your story. You've got to remember this. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love them because we're converted. That's really important. You need to really let that sink in and let that be the thought that's in your heart. We love them because we are converted. So that means we have to be careful that we are not there with the wrong intention of, hey, we just need to get this person saved. No, they might be your neighbor for a long time. It might be that, hey, we need to develop a relationship. And the truth is, outside of relationship, people rarely make life-changing decisions. Hello, right? I mean, outside of a relationship aspect, you're not going to sign over your life to a new mortgage or to relocate or to this or to that. It's because you're building a relationship. In fact, if you talk to even a car, even a used car salesman knows this. He wants you to talk about you. He wants you to share your story and tell him all about your life and pretend that he's interested so he can get you to sign on the dotted line. He wants you to share your story. Here's the same thing for us. We want people to sign on the dotted line, but we want to do so in the right spirit. We want to do so not to mark something off of a list, but because we actually love our neighbors and we, and we want to see them rescued. We don't want to see them um, in the dark. So whatever else happens is up to God when it comes to our relationship with our neighbors, but it will be a direct result of our faithful obedience. So here's the thing. And I said it this morning during our pray first rally. If you weren't with us, we would love for you to join us. We have pre-service prayer that starts at 945 every Sunday morning. And we pray for special needs. Uh, we pray for things. Uh, we pray for each one of you before you get here. Um, we have music playing and that sort of thing. But the Lord put it on my heart this morning to share something. And it's not all that profound. But the Bible says in Genesis that we were created in God's image. And I began to think about that when it comes to prayer. His image, we were created in his image. He has a mouth that speaks and he has ears that hear. And so do we. So that engages us in prayer, but it also should be something that helps help us share our story with others, that we ought to have a listening ear and that sort of thing um, before we just go spouting off about whatever it is that we have on our heart. So here's the first tip. Instead of worrying about sharing your story first, if you're a little bit nervous, ask them to share their story. People don't mind talking about themselves. Just ask. I promise you, you might get more than you bargained for. Uh, But it's so true. They don't mind talking about themselves. 
Uh, secondly, focus on listening. Um, sometimes for some of us, that's easier said than done. But sometimes uh, fear comes because we're too focused on sharing and not enough on listening. You guys have all been in that conversation where you felt like the person was not listening to you. They were just thinking about what they were going to say next. You're all like, mm-hmm. Don't and she's sitting spouse. right here. Um, but in this situation where we are being light uh, to our neighbors, we have to we have to not be that person. We have to focus on listening and um, to them tell us their story. And at some point... Later on, they'll give us the opportunity to share ours. Um, this isn't manipulation. It's simply how normal conversation happens um, in real life is that one person speaks and the other person listens and then responds to what that person just said, right? That's how conversation works. And that's how it works in sharing uh, your story and sharing the light of Jesus as well. Because when you, we listen to that person, then we can hear those access points and those moments where... Um, where God can touch them and they can have that moment with the Lord as well. Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm on next. Sorry. Number three is don't be afraid. Uh, we talked about fear a couple of weeks ago, but you should know this, that fear silences your story. Your story is too good not to tell. Um, one of my, one of my girl's favorite songs has a line in it that I just love. And it says, fear kills more dreams than failure. So you will absolutely not win your neighbors if you never talk to them. But you may win them for the Lord. You may be able to share the light with, with them if you combat that fear and just do it. And just share and just share and just share. Because um, your story's too too good not to tell. People usually don't share their story because either it never comes up. They don't know where to start. Or maybe they don't, they, they're afraid that they're gonna, the other person's gonna ask them questions that they don't know the answers to, or they don't have all the Bible verses, you know. But I'm telling you that they care more about who Christ is in, in you than who he is in the Bible at first. And so when they can see you and see how he has impacted your life, then that is a great opportunity for them to, um, to be able to hear how they can be, uh, how he can impact their life as well. There was something that was started, um, I guess back in the late seventies, early eighties, and it was called evangelism explosion. And they actually did role playing during their training and you would act like an unbeliever and the other person would act like the believer. And it, it actually gave them practice. So here's the thing. Even though we talk about don't be the crazy weirdo that shows up to the door and hands them a pamphlet and talks about being washed in the blood. At some point, when you share your story, you're going to share what God did and how he changed your life. So I'll give you another tip, and it's free. Don't be weird. <laughs> Please. That, that deserves a laugh. I don't care if you thought it was funny. That deserves a laugh. Don't be weird when you share your story, okay? Uh, yes, that's number four, and it's free. Don't be weird, all right? Um, it's so important, though, really, truly, that we share the story. And I love one thing. Oh, I love many things about my wife. But there's one thing that really fits into this scenario, and that is that she opens up her life story to pretty much anybody. Whether they want 
No, that's not true. It's not whether they want it or not. But there have been countless times that I have like came, I've come home and the kids are outside playing and there's a neighbor out there, a new neighbor maybe talking with my wife and I overhear, oh yeah, we, we used to live in Hawaii. Yeah. No, you know what? Well, God really brought us to Clinton, Mississippi. What? How did you get out of... And like I overhear her sharing the story of what God's done in some area of our life with a new neighbor. And I think to myself, I want to be just like her. I, and I want you to be just like that. I want us to be at that place. And no, when you got 20 people behind you in line at the grocery store, that's not the right time to do that. So you got to be intentional and build relationship. Um, use the same waiter or waitress. Go to the same... Go to the same um, checkout with the same cashier. Build relationship even with those people in our community that you can shine your light in some way, uh, somehow. I recently read a story that I want to share with you um, about a lighthouse keeper. His name was Jacob Walker, and he served at the lighthouse on Robin's Reef. You may not know where that's at, but it's actually um, on the tip or off the tip of Staten Island in New York. After years of faithful service as a lighthouse keeper, he got sick and he passed away. His wife chose to bury him up on the hillside that looks over the shoreline so that she could see him whenever she was there. After his death, she applied and received the appointment as keeper of the light. And if you don't know, it used to be a big deal that you got the appointment to be a lighthouse keeper. And so she's one of the few women in those days that served as a lighthouse keeper. And she did it and started serving really a solitary life. For many years, she carried on her duties after her husband had passed. And in her time, it said that she saved, she got out of the lighthouse and went swimming to save and rescue more than 50 individuals and countless ships were saved from destruction as a result of her work. So a reporter at some point decided to do a story on her uh, and her late husband and the lighthouse and that sort of thing. And in the course of the interview, she told him, you know, every night I stand in the door of this lighthouse and I look across the water to the hillside where my husband sleeps and I can still hear his voice saying to me, mind the light, mind the light, take care of the light. The job you have is too important for you to be busy or bothered with other things. Make sure that you prioritize this thing. And so the thought is that across the troubled waters of our lives that we all live in, there's a voice that's speaking from a hillside far away thousands of years ago that's saying to us out of that dark moment in history to our dark world today, Mind the light, share the light, be the light on the hillside or be the light in the lighthouse, be the light in your neighborhood. Some way, somehow find a way to be intentional about sharing the light. So today, as you've had that challenge, would you stand with us and I'll give you some instructions. I want us to pray a prayer out loud if you would, with me in just a moment. And that prayer is simply this. It's just a short phrase and it's just, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? 
We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the Holy Spirit is working even in this room. He's been tugging on your heart as you've heard the stories and listened to the message today. Maybe your story doesn't yet include God. And maybe maybe he wants to draw you closer to himself today. During this next moment, when we pray that prayer, I want you to trust that God could actually speak to you. And he'll do so as the worship team plays this song as an encore and we kind of turn our hearts over to the Lord. But ask yourself maybe these questions. The first question, which I've already referenced is, do you have the light? And if you need to respond and say, Lord, I want the light. I want you to light my path today. Then you can make that decision. Maybe you're a believer here today and the second question applies to you. And that that question might be, have you disobeyed his word in Matthew chapter five when he says, no one lights a light and then covers it up under a basket. But maybe maybe you feel a little conviction in your heart today. Not guilt, because guilt is not a motivator. But when the work of the Holy Spirit touches you and you might sense that that just that little ache that says, you know, maybe I've hidden this light. Maybe I haven't shared it as I should. Then today we can commit to the Lord that we'll let our light shine for him wherever we are. Because truly church, we have no other mission. Think about that. We have no other mission or commission by him, but to be the light and to share it with those who are in our life. So Father, I pray right now. And as we pray together, let's say that prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Speak to every heart, I pray, Father. And as this worship team plays and as as this song plays and as we turn our hearts to you, help us, Lord, to focus in and to obey whatever it is that you lead us to do. In Jesus' name.